0: Okay, so let's go on. We're going to talk about polarization. Uh, We're going to talk about polarization for the remainder of the class, meaning the remainder of the semester. Um, There's a lot of material, there's a lot which we can discuss and work on that involves polarization of light. Um, So this will be the focus, pretty much the primary focus of the final midterm. So let's talk first a little bit about just polarization of light, what that means, um, some of its properties, how we know that light is polarized. We'll describe different basis sets in which you can describe the polarization. I'll describe what I mean by different basis sets. And then we'll introduce what we call Jones calculus. It's a technique for for, um, representing and manipulating the polarization state of light as it goes through an optical system. OK, so we say light's polarized. How do we know that? So one way you can tell is that you can take certain materials and if you shine light through this material, it blocks some of the light. Um, You'll notice here the color of light that it blocks is a function of its orientation. that's not a property of this, it's a property of the projector. Let me use sunlight instead. I so put this in front of the window, and the intensity of the light that you see is reduced. Um, I put in another polarizer, and when the light goes through both of them, the intensity gets reduced a little bit more, but now if I rotate the orientation, you can see it becomes extinct. Right, so there's something going on. Right, and what's going on? Well, we can understand what's going on if we assume that light is polarized. Here's another example of a physical effect that requires light be polarized to explain. You can pass this around. This is calcite. It's a crystal, natural crystal. You can set it on top of your paper or something that isn't some text on it. You should see two images. Right? And as you rotate the calcite, what you should see is one image Uh, remains stationary, and one seems to rotate about the axis of rotation. That's another another evidence that light is polarized. Um, One more example is corn syrup. And we'll describe in the next lecture, uh, which corresponds to chapter 15, what's going on in the corn syrup here. But if I take two polarizers, that are aligned such that they transmit the light. And I drop in some corn syrup. See some colors? And watch what happens when I rotate the polarizer. Now the light's extinct that goes through the two polarizers. But the light that also went through the corn syrup is not. And here it's the opposite, right? The light that goes through the corn syrup is basically extinct. The light that does not is not. So. Corn syrup seems to be affecting the light. These sheets seem to affect the light in a way that depends on their orientation. So polarization just means that light has some vector property to it. So vector means a direction. Right? You need, the light has to have some form of directionality in, for, in order for these to have an orientation-dependent effect. Okay, so that's evidence that light is polarized. So let's say a little more about what we mean by polarization. We typically talk about the polarization of the electric field. Light is an electromagnetic wave. The electric field and the magnetic field are intertwined. Whenever you have an electric field, you have a magnetic field in a light wave. And they're always orthogonal to each other. That was a consequence of Maxwell's laws. Okay, so the electric field, we assume, has a certain direction associated with it. We know it's a vector. We know that from. Um, from our electricity and magnetism class so it makes sense that if it's the disturbance that propagates as light that that disturbance has some polarization to it, has some directionality associated with it. So we usually talk about the polarization as being the direction of the electric field disturbance and light is a transverse wave it's also a consequence of Maxwell's equations, I I don't recall, when we went through Maxwell's equations, I pointed that out as a consequence. I'm not going to go back and and re-derive it. um, Light is a transverse wave, which means that its disturbances are orthogonal to the direction of propagation. Which means, if light is propagating, say, in the z-axis, that the electric field that's associated with that light has to be in the xy-plane. It can't have a z component, or it wouldn't be a transverse wave. And so if the polarization of light is described by the direction of the electric field, the direction of the electric field is in a plane. It's a vector in a plane. That means that vector can be described in terms of different unit vectors, x and y, or any two orthogonal unit vectors. Can be used um, any two directions can be used to describe the uh, the direction of polarization of the light. So Cartesian coordinates is what we call a basis set. Its unit vectors are x, y, z. So any polarization can be described in terms of its x, y, and z components. Okay. We also have other coordinates like cylindrical, spherical. They have different basis sets. They have radial and and azimuthal unit vectors and coordinates. You can also describe any vector in terms of those basis sets. And we'll see in terms of polarization, we'll talk mostly about um, linear and circular basis sets. OK, so let's consider light that's propagating here to the right. So that's the direction of the k vector, the direction of propagation. The polarization is transverse, meaning the electric field is constrained to oscillate in this transverse plane here. The magnetic field also oscillates in the transverse plane. It's perpendicular to the electric field and it's perpendicular to K. So that means both E and B have to be in this transverse plane. Okay, so there's lots of different disturbances in the electric field that can oscillate in the transverse plane. You can imagine having um, an electric field oscillating back and forth in the horizontal direction or in the vertical direction or in some combination of the two at some, some arbitrary angle. And those would all be disturbances of the electric field in this perpendicular plane. You could also have the electric field spiraling around with some trajectory in this plane. And that would be an oscillation that would be transverse. So depending on The shape of that it could be called circular or elliptical polarization we'll describe those a little more detail in a minute or you could have what we'd call either unpolarized or random polarization which is the electric field is changing but not in any sort of uh, periodic and and predictable way so it's it's the value of the electric field plotted on this plane would be jumping around but it wouldn't be following a nice nice pattern so we we would call that um, unpolarized light or random polarization The electric field is still a vector. It still has a direction at any instant in time. It has a polarization. It's just that polarization is changing rapidly over the time frame with which we would typically observe the the light. Okay, so using the same picture, let's describe um, the terms we use for different types of polarization. There's horizontal polarization. Right, Electric field oscillating in the horizontal plane course, in order for that to exist, you have to have a horizon. Right? So that's kind of dependent on your uh, coordinate system being fixed to the Earth somehow. Um, so likewise, there's a vertical polarization. We typically, or it's very common to talk about horizontal and vertical polarization, because typically we do experiments on a table in the laboratory, and those are convenient uh, descriptions. We'll also call this x-polarization and this y today. It's a little bit more universal. Um, and today we'll generally talk about the direction the light is going as being in the z direction. Okay, so we have uh, horizontal, we have vertical. This is meant to represent sort of light that's not horizontal or vertical. It's a little hard with the perspectives here in order to see that, but this could be light at, say, 45 degrees with respect to the horizontal. And then over here, we have what's called uh, right hand circular polarization, which is an electric field vector that traces out a circle in this, horizontal, in this transverse plane. And it's tracing out a circle that goes in a particular direction, in this case clockwise, as seen from someone looking into the light. So if you look into the light and you point your thumb towards the source on your right hand, your fingers will curl in the direction that we define as right circular polarization. Linear. Yes. But that's true for any, I mean, for random polarization as well. Um, Okay, now if you're an electrical engineer, is anyone here an electrical engineer? If you're an electrical engineer, you'd use exactly the opposite uh, convention. So what we, as physicists, would call right circular polarization, the electrical engineers would call left circular polarization. So these are somewhat arbitrary terms. I think the engineers probably got it right because us physicists have to look into the light. You're not supposed to look into laser beams, you're not supposed to stare in the light. Um, I think it makes more sense, personally, to point your thumb in the direction of light propagation. But if it's easier for you to remember, go ahead and do that, and then just remember you have to invert your, your answer. Okay, so that's right circular polarization. The opposite sense of rotation of the electric field tip would be left circular polarization. And then you can also have light that traces out some elliptical path that's not circular, and so we'd call that elliptical polarization. Okay, and so this would be the most general form of... We could say that any of these polarization states are elliptical polarization. This is elliptical polarization where the ellipticity is 0, or I guess 1. So you have an ellipse with the major and minor axis that are equal. That's a circular. And then linear polarization is like elliptical polarization, where the aspect ratio of that ellipse is infinite, a very narrow ellipse. So elliptical is just a very general term to describe polarization. So let's let's change our perspective here a little bit and look at these transverse planes head on, the horizontal and the vertical. That linear polarization at an angle you can see a little better here. And here's what the observer sees looking into the light. That's right circular. That's left circular. Okay, so let's uh, visualize some different polarization states with the help. My screen just disappeared. Yeah, that's cool. I'm getting prompted for what TV show I want to watch. You know. You don't see that up there. It entered front row. OK, here's what I've got. I have a plot showing the electric field oscillations as they propagate through space and time. So yeah, I did this. So yeah. So this would represent like a sine wave traveling in this direction. And that would be, let's say, the x component. And then here's a sine wave also traveling in the same direction, but polarization is 90 degrees with respect to the other one. So that would be like the y component of polarization. So what I have here is uh, a wave that has some x polarization and some y. And when you get a vector pointing along x and a vector pointing along y, you get some some angle for the resulting vector. And if we add those vectors up, you can see this blue line. It's a little hard to see, but there's a blue line that traces out the vector sum of the x and y components at any point. Right. So there's the vector sum. Ignore that ball that's moving around. So you see the vector sum. This represents right now light that's polarized at 45 degrees. So if, from an observer looking in, if we measure all our angles with respect to the plus x axis, this is measuring it. This is oscillating at 45 degrees. Of course, you could also say it's oscillating at minus 135 degrees. All right, so it's those are the same same descriptions for the direction. Now, I've written this expression out here in such a way that I can change some of these parameters. Um, H here represents the magnitude of the horizontal component, and the magnitude of the x vector, and V represents the magnitude of the vertical vector. You see they're equal. So if I make them unequal, what do you expect would happen? Say make the horizontal component twice as large. What happens to the direction of polarization? Should become more shallow. And uh, let's see Give it a second. To, there we go. So it becomes more shallow. You see the horizontal component get bigger. So it changes the state of the polarization. If I set the horizontal component to zero, we should get vertical polarization. So none of this should be too surprising right now. It's just like working with vectors. Uh, but what if I add a delay to the horizontal component? Let me first add a small delay. Um, if I write my electric field as a phaser, such that uh, there's some amplitude times e to the i, kz minus omega t. If I add some phase here, that means add an imaginary number. So, If I add some phase, then the, point, the position z of a point, say, on the crest of a wave, Will become has to be smaller or alternatively the time at which the wave reaches its crest um, would become later so adding some phase to this, this phaser is equivalent to adding a delay just slowing down the wave so what happens if I slow down the x component say relative to the y component I can do that by multiplying by e to the i I'll we'll call it gamma. And here I've defined gamma to be pi over 2, 90 degrees. Right, so if I delay the horizontal component by 90 degrees, you can see what's happening. I had Before I had like two sinusoidal waves co-propagating, and now I have like a sine wave and a cosine wave copropagating. So they're never both at the maximum simultaneously. Best way to see this, right? So that when the vertical component is going through zero, that's when the horizontal component is a maximum, and likewise, when the horizontal component is going through zero, that's when the vertical component is a maximum. So if at every point in time and space you add up those vectors, what you get is uh, the vector sum is tracing out this helix, this blue helix, which again is kind of hard to see. So let me change the uh, color of that. Let's no, just change the color of the ball. Okay, so there's this white helix that represents the trajectory of the electric field in space and time. And this ball is the intersection of that with with a plane that the light is passing through. Okay, so at a particular point in space, if I look at the electric field and watch how it oscillates, that's that white ball. So by my convention, I should look from the perspective of so I'm looking in towards the light, and here I see light that's going around clockwise. So would that be left circular or right circular polarization? So that's right circular polarization. Right? So if I, instead of delaying the horizontal wave, if I advance it, then I'm gonna get the opposite effect. I'm gonna get left circular polarization. So now you see it's, that point is rotating counterclockwise. So this is the way that we describe polarization. We think about what the electric field is doing at a plane in space. Okay, and it's, it's, It can always be described as the sum of a horizontal and a vertical wave that have, may have different relative amplitudes and may have different relative phases. Okay, so let me make them out of phase, not by pi over 2, which is 90 degrees, but by just a small amount. Let me say one-tenth of this. If they were not out of phase at all, we got linear polarization at 45 degrees. So now what we're going to get is almost linear polarization at 45 degrees. But you can see there's a slight ellipticity to it. Think of it this minor axis is now about 10% of the major axis. And if I increase the amount of delay, this minor axis is going to grow, this major axis is going to shrink until it's a circle. If I keep increasing the delay, this major axis shrinks down, the minor axis expands. If I increase the delay by pi, what do you think will happen? Remember pi over 2 took me from linear to circular. now linear, but the angle has changed by 90 degrees. So if you think about it in terms of the components, here you can see the x and y components are in phase. Actually, they're 180 degrees out of phase. They're pi out of phase. Um, So remember if the delay was 0, then it's just going to move one of these waves ahead by half a wavelength. So points where here where x is pointing to the right and y is pointing down, now x is pointing in the other direction, which is moved by half a wavelength. And as a result, their vector sum went from pointing in one direction to the other. OK, so this is the type of picture you want to have in your head to think about polarization. And it's the picture that drives our mathematical description. OK, so here's just a little, little bit of the math behind what we were doing. If you can describe the x component of a sinusoidal oscillation as some amplitude, some oscillation with a particular phase, and pointing in the x direction, then you can have a similar expression for y. The y component may have a different amplitude, points in the y direction and they have a different phase and so when we add up these two waves we just add up these two phasors the kz minus omega t part this is just the sinusoidal oscillation both waves have a sinusoidal oscillation here at the same frequency we can factor that out and we can write the sum of the two waves as this term in parentheses, which comes from their amplitude and phases and then the oscillating part so this term in parentheses is what tells us about the polarization state. This term over here is just the oscillation. Okay, so we saw how we could change the amplitude and the phases to affect the polarization state. Here's a couple, couple examples here, um, which we already showed. I mentioned that if these phases differ by pi over 2, or by 90 degrees, it means the two waves are shifted by 90 degrees. So when one's a max, the other's a min. That's what produces circular polarization. Um, mostly these slides here are just because the animations don't print out in your notes. So I'm going over them rather fast, just because I discussed all this in the animation. OK, so circular polarization, we can describe as the sum of x and y polarizations. Okay, so right circular polarization, At the moment I'm going to call that r hat, I'll explain a little bit more what that means in a second. We can think of that as the sum of light that's polarized in x and light that's polarized in y. There needs to be a 90 degree phase shift between them. So e to the i times pi over 2 gives us i. I multiply one component by i, that gives me a 90 degree phase shift between the two components. And this ix hat plus y hat is a vector. If x hat and y hat are unit vectors in x and y, then this vector has a length of square root of 2 in the complex plane. So if I divide it by square root of 2, then I get a, a unit vector. So r hat is a unit vector which represents right circular polarization. It's not actually a vector in the sense that x and y are vectors in the complex plane. Um, This just represents well this, this accounts for both the vector and the phase. So it wouldn't quite be right to call it a vector, but I use this r-hat notation as if it were a vector. Um, it's the amount of light that we can think of as being right circularly polarized. And then likewise, left circular polarization, we can write a similar expression. Here we don't delay x by 90 degrees, we delay y by 90 degrees. So the i gets on y, we get a similar expression that represents left circular polarization. And so what you can see is, You can define right circular polarization as some combination of x and y. You can define left circular polarization as some combination of x and y. And in fact, you can describe x and y in terms of the sum of left and right circular polarization. So you can take these two expressions, solve them for x hat, solve them for y hat, and you get the x and y unit vectors can be related to the left and right circular polarization vectors. Like so. And what that says is if left circular polarization looks like this, and right circular polarization looks like this, if you were to take these and add them up. If you had equal components of left and right circularly polarized light, that started from here. The electric field vector started from here. As time progressed, one wave would see the electric field vector follow points traveling in a left circular polarized circle. The other one would go in the other direction. And the vector sum of those two would be an electric field that oscillates up and down vertically. So you can combine left circular polarization and right circular polarization. They're equal magnitudes to get linear polarization. And if you delay one of these waves, say we delay right circular polarization by 90 degrees, then instead of starting from here, it's going to start from over here. And the vector sum is going to trace out this line. If we delay it by 180 degrees, then the vector sum is going to trace out a horizontal line. Okay, So let me draw that. This is my right circular polarization. Left circular polarization looks like this. It's the same as the picture I drew before, only the right circular polarization is starting, either delayed or advanced by pi. Now the vector sum as light with the right circular polarization steps through these points, and the light with the left circular polarization has an electric field that steps through these points, the vector sum is now going to oscillate horizontally. So we can think of linear polarization as a superposition of two circular polarization waves. So we say that the x and y polarizations can be a basis set for describing any arbitrary polarization state. Likewise, right and left circular polarization can be a basis set. Because anything you can describe in terms of x and y, you then just use this expression, you can convert into an expression for right and left. Okay, so let's do a little example here. Here's several different polarizations that are described in Cartesian coordinates, in x, y. Let's look at what these physically, what they represent, and then try to express them in circular polarization. And let me Right on the board, my expressions here so that we can use them later. Okay, so first one cosine KZ minus Omega TX plus cosine KZ minus Omega TY. Uh, How would you describe that polarization? What is that? Okay, so it's linear at an angle of 45 degrees. So x and y are doing the exact same thing. What is the magnitude of that oscillation? Root 2, yeah. So you have magnitude of 1 in x and 1 in y. So The magnitude of the oscillation is square root of 2. Whatever units... This would have been expressed as. So we can write that as right circular and left circular by just saying, um, if the magnitude of x is 1, the magnitude of y is 1, then the magnitude of the right circular polarization component is i plus 1 over square root of 2. The magnitude of the left circular polarization is also 1 plus i over square root of 2. So what I'm doing is I'm plugging in the magnitude of x the magnitude of y, and that gives me the magnitude of the right circular polarization field. How about the next one? cosine kz minus omega t plus sine kz minus omega t. What type of polarization is that? It's circular, circular, right. Um, And the amplitude of the electric field vector always has what magnitude? Always one. So it's a circle of radius one. And let's see, is it... Let's figure out the direction. If we're... um, If kz minus omega t starts as 0, and both the arguments are 0, and we have 1 unit in x and 0 units in y, so we're starting from here. And as that argument increases, we see as time increases, that argument actually is going to decrease. So as the argument of sine decreases, this term becomes negative, meaning. this is travel this is a trajectory that's moving clockwise okay in the xy plane and z would be out of the board here so that would be right circular polarization okay so let's check this out there's our expression for right circular polarization let's say the magnitude of the right circular polarized field is In x, if I call this 1, and I have i times 1. Magnitude in y, in phasor notation, does anybody remember what sine, what the magnitude of sine is in the complex plane? So that's minus i. And look at that. That gives me 0. I think I have an error then in these formula. Calculate it for a left circular. If we we calculate using this formula, um, I'm going to get 1 plus i times i or square root of 2, which is also 0. So one of these definitely needs a minus sign, and I'm going to guess it's this one. I'll check into that and fix that for next time. But if that's a minus sign, then this becomes i plus i is uh, 2i Yeah, I'm definitely going to need to fix those. I think I should stop right now because the formulas I'm using are not producing the results I'm expecting. This is an xy plane. We're plotting this in. And um, it's tricky because we're keeping track of phasors, which we describe in the complex plane, and vectors, which we're describing in the xy plane. So they're two different things. So this this diagram is not related to the phasor diagram that we've we've described before. Okay, so a couple comments about elliptical polarization, which is the most general form. Um, If you have some arbitrary amplitude for x and y that aren't necessarily equal, neither of them are necessarily zero, and you have arbitrary phases which aren't, related by any particular relationship, so they're not zero, they're not relative phases of pi over two or any fraction of pi, Um, then what you'd expect is some linear polarization. You can do some geometry, a bit of trigonometry as well. Uh, It's it's an exercise that you're welcome to go through in the book. I'm not going to go through here. I don't think it's that relevant to calculate the major axis and the ellipticity of this ellipse. Okay, but it's all presented in the book, and it's in the slide here for your reference as well. Um, what I want to do is describe more how we keep track, of the, um, keep track of the polarization as light goes through a system that can change its polarization state. Okay, so first, one of the most common optical elements we're going to deal with is a mirror. Right? Um, So if we consider light that is reflecting from a mirror, let me go back to our uh, diagram here. And let me look at circular polarization. When light reflects from a mirror, our definition of whether it's right or left polarization. Not so much the definition changes, but our definition required we look at the light from the perspective of someone who's observing the light coming at them. When it reflects off of a mirror, that changes where the observer has to be located. So let's say this plane here that I've shown, at which we're evaluating the polarization, let's say that's the mirror. And so this electric field might represent uh, the electric field in the plane of the mirror, and this dot that's going around tells us we have left circular polarization. So We're an observer looking at the light. Okay, now, let's say this is just before the light hits the mirror. So as an observer, we're standing, say, behind the mirror. The light's coming towards the mirror, towards us, and this is what we see the electric field doing. So that's left circular polarization. Immediately after the light reflects off of the mirror, now we need to stand on the other side so we need to do this. The mirror, the electric field at the mirror is just what it is. It's just moving around the same, regardless of where we look at it from. So this, this blue ball represents the electric field at the plane of the mirror. But now, from our perspective, we describe this as right circular polarization. So when light reflects off of a mirror, left circular polarization gets transformed into right circular polarization. Right circular gets transformed into left circular. Now, this maybe isn't that surprising because when you look at a mirror, your left hand gets transformed to your right hand, your right hand gets transformed to your left hand. Which brings up a question Gregory asked many months ago. Why does a mirror reflect left and right, not up and down? Okay, so I will give two points of extra credit for every, anybody who can come up with a correct answer for that. And if more than one person submit a correct answer, I will give five points of extra credit to the person who gives the best answer to that. And if nobody submits an answer by next class, I will tell you the answer. Okay. So five points of extra credit is enough to bump your grade a half a grade. Okay. So stare at those mirrors. why well why, why do we say that a mirror flips left and right not up and down okay so i just described left circular polarization gets flipped to right right gets flipped to left same thing is true for elliptical light's traveling in an elliptical or the electric field traces an elliptical trajectory we can describe that as right or left elliptical based on the sense of rotation and that gets inverted as well OK, so how do we describe this mathematically? We've seen a glimpse of it. Uh, we have these different basis sets. We can describe vectors that represent the electric field. Um, but we want to be able to look at how those vectors transform when they go through systems. Okay. Um, well if it's not more than one wavelength we generally wouldn't call that an electromagnetic wave it would just be a static field okay so polarization is described by vectors Um, vectors can be represented by two orthogonal components whether we use x and y components or right and left circular components doesn't really matter Um, typically I think most books and and most analysis is done in terms of x and y. Um, There are certain exceptions to that where it's more convenient to work in terms of left and right circular polarization. But um, those will be the exceptions to our rule. So if light can be described by an x and a y component, and the amplitude of the components can be complex to represent the phases, then Jones' calculus is a description of light as vectors where the, comp- where the components of the vectors are complex numbers. They're complex numbers, they have an amplitude and a phase. And because it's a vector, it has two components. It would represent X and Y, or it could represent right and left, or any two orthogonal polarization states. Okay, so, here's a table of different Jones vectors. For horizontal polarization, polarization in the X direction, We describe that as 1, 0. What this means is this is the magnitude of the x component, the magnitude of the uh, horizontally polarized wave. This is the magnitude of the vertically polarized wave. And so these I'm describing all the different unit vectors. So light that's polarized in the x direction has a a unit amplitude we would describe like this light that's polarized in the y direction we would describe like this light at 45 degrees has equal components of x and y so it would look like 1 1 in order to make it a unit vector we need to normalize by its magnitude So this notation represents the magnitude of the light in one basis set or in one uh, coordinate and then in the other coordinate And for our purposes what I've described here, those coordinates are x and y. At an angle theta, with respect to the x-axis, we could describe this as cosine theta, sine theta. So if theta is equal to 0, the light's polarized along x, this is 1 and that's 0, which is our x polarization. If theta is 90 degrees and the light's not polarized along x, we're saying it's polarized along y. At 90 degrees, this is 0 and this is 1, which is our vertical. So for any theta in between, that traces out a point on a circle. Okay, so right circular is a combination of x and y, such that the x has a 90 degree phase shift with respect to the y. So that's what that i means. The i This is the first time we're seeing the complex number part come in. But this is a phase delay of 90 degrees for the x component. And then for left circular, we have a phase delay of 90 degrees for the y component. You can see if this vector represents right circular and this vector represents left circular, when we add them, we get light that's polarized at 45 degrees. We get the same, if we add these two, we get 1 plus i in the first term and 1 plus i in the second term meaning the x and y components would have the same magnitude we get light polarized at 45 degrees Okay, so those are the vectors that describe the polarization state of light now when light goes through an optical element it goes through a polarizer for instance its polarization state will change Okay, polarizer is a pretty trivial example it just removes one of the polarization states. Um, when it goes through corn syrup, its polarization state changes in a way that we'll describe next time. It rotates the polarization of light. When it goes through a piece of plastic, its polarization state changes. I think we can see that. Um, you see that the light gets transmitted going through the. Through the uh, Joule case, but not when it doesn't. We'll describe why next time. So, all these different materials that affect the polarization state of light. And if light is represented by a vector, what mathematical operator or what mathematical construct changes one vector into another? It's a matrix. Right, so, we have what we call Jones matrices. A Jones matrix represents an optical element. Jones vector represents the light that goes into the optical element. The effect of a matrix is to take one vector and transform it into another vector. So this would be the input light. This would represent the output light. And the matrix does that transformation. And we can construct any matrix. that will transform an arbitrary input light into an arbitrary output light state, an arbitrary input polarization state to an arbitrary output polarization state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had like the ray matrices, right? That was another form of optical matrix. Is that what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. So let's say you have a ray matrix that describes how the position and slope of a ray gets changed by an optical element. right? So there's two quantities called r and r prime We call it R prime and R. I'm confused because different textbooks use different forms. And then we had a matrix, which I'll call the ray matrix. We multiplied by the input ray matrix to get an output ray matrix. And now we have um, polarization for the light which we multiply by a polarization matrix to get an output polarization. So if we want to keep track of everything that's going on, both polarization and ray angle and direction, the light needs four parameters to describe it. Right? Our matrices, then, need to be 4 by 4 matrices, not 2 by 2 matrices. So if we describe our vector as r prime r e x e y, then you can convince yourself that the output angle and position shouldn't depend on the electric field values. So that means this block has to be 0. And likewise, the output polarization shouldn't depend on the position and angle. At least they won't for common materials. So this block would be 0. And then this block would relate the input electric field to the output electric field. So this would be the Jones matrices. And this block would be the, the ray matrix. So you can create these block diagonal matrices. And this is what you do when you model complex systems. Alexander? So what happens at normal incidence? At normal incidence? Yeah. So there's you look. No, there's no flip. So does that mean? Well, the, the component perpendicular gets flipped by. Uh, there is no perpendicular at normal incidence. Though. No. Or they're degenerate. Well, in, degenerate. The, in for the general case, it gets flipped by pi. So it's perpendicular. So whatever solution you have has to work at normal it's incidence. So keep keep thinking about it. Okay. It needs to work at normal incidence, where the, there is no distinction between perpendicular and parallel to the plane of incidence. Yeah. If you have like a linear crystal or something, would those blocks of zeros be non-zero? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's just um, introduce the Jones matrix for a polarizer first, it's a, a very simple matrix, and the next time we'll go through lots of other uh, elements and describe their Jones matrix so a polarizer, um, I didn't describe what, what these sheets are, these sheets are um, plastic with polymers in them, they're stretched out so those polymers essentially line up linearly um, and the polymers themselves have electrons that can flow along the polymer chain what that means is the electric field when it's oscillating in the direction which the polymers are lined up it can excite a current that goes back and forth and that dissipates energy the current, if there's a resistance I squared R dissipates the power in the electric wave if the electric field oscillates perpendicular to the direction of the, you can think of them as little wires then it can't excite a current because the current can't flow from one one molecule to the next it only flows along the single molecule, so you can't get a current flowing in the other direction. The light can propagate through unattenuated in that polarization. Okay, so this just blocks out light of one polarization, um, and as a result, if you have two polarizers and they're not aligned at the if they're aligned at the same angle, then the light that's blocked out by the first would have been blocked out by the second. The light that was transmitted by the first gets transmitted by the second. You should have no really no difference from a single polarizer. Now these aren't perfect, so you actually notice it is darker here than it is up there. But um, When you rotate them by 90 degrees, then all of the light of one polarization gets blocked by the first, all the light of the second gets blocked by the other. When you have an angle in between, the amount of light that gets transmitted, the amount of the electric field that gets transmitted, is the component of the electric field transmitted by the first projected onto the, to the transmission axis of the second. So if they're oriented at an angle theta relative to each other, the amount of the electric field that gets through goes as cosine theta. That means the power that gets through goes as cosine squared theta, and it's known as Malice's law. So i naught is the incident power. Theta is the angle between them. So how would we describe the Jones matrix of a polarizer? So consider a horizontal polarizer going to block out the vertical component. So here's an arbitrary input field. If we want this to be the output field, what does this matrix have to look like? If EX out equals EX in, this term right here, this first term has to be 1, right? for this to equal this. And this term has to be 0, or else this output would depend on the y component of the input. It doesn't. That should be 0, that should be 0, this should be 0 as well. This being 0 will cause the electric field in the y not to propagate out to the output. So for a polarizer, we have 1, 0, 0, 0 for the Jones matrix. We'll go through all the other uh, optics of interest next time. That's all the time we have today. Uh, I have well, go ahead. That, uh, well, Well, I, the cosine theta term doesn't go to 0. For uh, polarization in X or something, right? right. Um, you can ignore. Uh-oh. This right here is if we an angle. rotate in an arbitrary angle. And so if you have two polarizers oh, that aren't rotated at any angle, well, actually, no, so let me say the difference that. Between them it's not I'm sorry. No, this is what if you had, so if we derive the matrix for a polarizer that's oriented such that it transmits X polarization. That's this. How would you describe that if you rotate that in an arbitrary angle? No. That's what this is asking. So we'll do that next time. The electric field component flips. The electric field component flips. But your eyes, that wouldn't explain why your left hand appears to be your right hand. I mean, mm. Well, I can, use, I can use a wave plate with a 180 degree phase delay to flip the direction of the electric field. And that's not going to cause me, look, looking through a wave plate, to see my, my watch and my ring on my right hand. It doesn't produce a geometrical flip. What if you close one eye? What? If you close one eye, then you no longer have a defined orientation for your eyes. And, and we have-